I've had a busy week. It started out where I flew from the Isle of Man to Belfast in an 18-seat prop plane. little wobbly thing. The captain was sitting right in front of me, and I could look over his shoulder and through the windshield. But when we got there, had a really nice gig in Belfast, had another nice gig in Dublin, and then made our way up to Kildare Town. It was a really good gig. And then the next day, I had a really crazy travel day where I had to travel nine and a half hours. There were four trains, one bus, and one plane. And when I showed up in Aldeburg that same day, I played a gig. Really good crowd and a good time and a nice venue. And the next day, I played in Pullham St. Mary's, which was a sold-out gig, and traveled my way down to Portsmouth, which is where I am now. The last night in Portsmouth, I played a sold-out gig in a 500-year-old tower, and the claim to fame is that Henry VIII once slept there. And I'm guessing that's the English equivalent to all of those American hotels that claim that Abraham Lincoln once slept here. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my hotel room in Portsmouth, England on a very rainy day. When I look out the window, I can see across the English Channel and I can see the Isle of Wight off in the distance. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guests this week are Carol Young and Kim Warner of The Green Cards, and you can find out everything you need to know about them at greencards.com. The first time I remember seeing The Green Cards was I played a gig at the Station Inn eight or nine years ago in Nashville. And it was me, the Green Cards, and the Avett Brothers. I really, really enjoyed everything about that night. I enjoyed everybody that played. It might have been the first good gig I ever had in Nashville, which I had many bad ones before that. But Carol and Kim stopped by my house in East Nashville. We sat down on the couch and just had a real nice conversation. It's probably obvious when you listen to this, but man, they're just the nicest folks. They're just really easy to be around. And they seem mellow and very likable, and I like that. So I hope you enjoy this. Here's Carol and Kim for the green cards. Yeah, well, I'm from uh, Adelaide, South Australia, which is uh, just on the, what they call the Great Australian Bight. It looks like a big chunk's been bitten out of the bottom of the country, and that's where Adelaide is right there. Um, so that's where I'm from. And I'm from the east coast of Australia, halfway between Sydney and Brisbane, a little town called Coffs Harbour, home of Russell Crowe. Was there a lot of bluegrass or folk in Australia that I don't know about? Not really. Um, I guess we, it's a little bit different from us because we came from households that were sort of into you know, traditional country music. And um, in my house in particular, my dad plays, still to this day plays, and he plays you know, bluegrass music and country music. So it was around me. And I thought that was a normal thing until, you know, you get on the school bus and 
you know, hey, you guys, this great Flat and Scruggs record, and everyone's like listening to, you know, Pearl Jam or whoever. So, um, but, you know, little pockets of it, I guess, but it was certainly not a prolific thing. But in saying that, it seems like it's getting more and more popular now. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, an artist like, you know, Casey Chambers broke a lot of ground here in the US with that Barricades and Brick Walls album. It's a great record. And it had great exposure in the US and she kind of brought a bit of that back home to her and introduced America to the Aussies yeah. and just maintained a, a presence here in the US. Artists like Casey and Paul Kelly. Um, we yeah, well, Paul Kelly, did, I mean, speaking of bluegrass, he did that bluegrass record about five years ago, The Stormy Water, was it called? The, I can't remember the name of it, but my dad actually is on that record, played mandolin on it. And um, so I guess artists like that that have sort of, not that they're bluegrass artists or you know, whatever you want to call them, but they, they, they'll they have those elements and then their fans, these younger people will be, well, this is pretty cool, what's that? Oh, that's a, you know, she mentions Ralph Stanley in there, who's this Ralph Stanley guy, you know? So that's just kind of how it works all, all over. But So whilst it wasn't the most popular music in the country, there are a lot more people playing, you know, for a form of acoustic roots music now in Australia than, than there had been, for sure. Did artists like Flatten Scruggs or Ralph Stanley or Bill Monroe tour Australia That's a good question. Um, I don't think so because, uh, again, I'm harping a lot on my dad here, but I know a lot of concerts my dad went to as a kid and he never mentioned any of those guys. He had to come over here in 1970 to sort of meet Bill Monroe and see Lester Flat sing and things like that. Which wasn't a common thing for an Australian no, to no, do. it wasn't. It really, um, really wasn't common. But, you know, I think one of the biggest shows that had an impact in Australia on our genre of music, remember when Vince Gill and Albert Lee came over yeah, to Australia? Yeah, that's right. They played, a, it was just the two of them sitting on stools playing acoustic and I guess some electric too. Yeah. Uh, and it had a huge, like it just, it went viral, you know. Oh, well, there were no computers in those days. but No, but everyone was <laughs> like, wow, who's this? Yeah, and that was probably one of the biggest things to hit Australia as a... yeah. Um, Vince jokes about that. I had the audacity to sit on a stool and play guitar next to Albert Lee. You know? <laughs> <laughs> My Javinsky was pretty incredible, to be honest. But um, yeah, no, I guess it was it was still more mainstream artists that would go down. But again, like Vince Gill actually went to Australia in the late seventies with Byron Berline and Dan, uh, no, he replaced Dan Crary in that band with John Hickman and Byron Berline. They had a band called California that were a pretty prominent bluegrass band, I guess, in the seventies and eighties. And Vince went down as this young kid, and that's when everyone first heard him. And then, you know, five years later, he went back with Albert. So yeah, there wouldn't be many bluegrass bands other than that that went down. No, Hot Rise did with Tim O'Brien. They went down. I, I remember that. I was about 1983, and that was a big deal because they were you know, still it's are, Hot Rise. Still yeah. are Hot Rise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've been huge fans of Vince for a long time. So we were going in to make our 2011 album, The Brick Album, with uh, a great producer, Justin Kneebank, and he was good friends with Vince Gill. So um, we, we sort of said to him, any chance that Vince would come and do something with us? So we ended up having him come into the studio. We're all in one room, hanging out together with baffles, you know, separating the sound. And we did this, we cut a song together. Uh, he spent most of the day cutting, playing rhythm. He played a rhythm guitar for us, and then he didn't have time to do the vocals. And he said, "Why don't you come over to my house?" So we went over to his house and cut the vocals. That was so pretty cool. That was really cool. 
He's, what yeah. a gracious man. I mean, a I'm sure that man. I don't think anyone would ever say anything bad about Vince Gill. I'm sure he's such a fantastic guy, but yeah, he welcomed him us pretty well. His little studio was incredible. He did, so many he guitars, did have some great, great stories that flew by me very quickly, but he's, he was all open to talking about uh, the here today period and Pure Prairie League yeah. and some of those things that he did in the early days. Some of the things he did when he was young. I can't young. remember what band it was, but he did say that. I asked him about one particular record that he played on, and I think he might have been the bass player on this thing, and, and asked him about had he maintained a relationship with the guys in that band. He said, yeah, all of them but one. The last time he saw whoever the person was, like, he got chased out of the room with a um, music stand. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he hasn't seen that guy. <laughs> There's a lot of stories, a lot of great times with Sam. I mean, a couple of years ago on my birthday, um, this was after we made the record, um, uh, we just happened to be playing this festival in Kentucky and I had a great night, um, got to sit in with Sam and the band, which was always fun, and he sat in with us and then afterwards it was just Sam and his sound guy, Darren, and myself and we stayed up pretty much all night just uh, drinking some scotch and playing some tunes and telling these great, great stories room. in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam Bush is the reason that I play the mandolin. It's, it's simple as that. I mean, I learned early things from my dad but I didn't really take things that seriously until I heard Newgrass Revival and Sam and I was like, this is who, what is this guy? You know, what's, what the hell is he doing? So, um, but now he's always been good. But that I think the day that we recorded, it was like two days back to back. Sam Bush one day and then Vince. But for me in particular, to have my hero sitting just to my right, bottle of scotch in between us, and we cut this track together. And we did drink the whole bottle of scotch too. Pretty good <laughs> effort, actually. We were, we were in pretty good drinking form on that record. I Lucky remember. You had a good engineer to edit out the bad bits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did. No. Um, He's been really gracious to us. He's been great to our band. He's, you know, we've done a bunch of shows with him, and he's always said nice things. And boy, we need to get Jed in yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw. Well, I saw a picture on your Facebook yeah. page of you guys with Rodney Crown. Well, yeah, yeah, we were we were just on a tour uh, late last year. We were on a tour up in the northeast, and we were driving west. And I called oh, a yeah, friend, an Aussie friend of mine, who's in the Rodney Crowell band, and I woke him up. He was sleeping Jed, in the, Jed yeah, Hughes. Jed I'm Hughes. Sure and I woke him up and I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm driving along interstate such and such. And I'm like, wow, so are we. And he's like, well, where are you? What exit are you up to? And I told him. And we were like two exits apart. So we met at the one exit that we had left and pulled in <laughs> well, how- to go to a gas station. But the gas station's like that typical northeast thing. It's one on the east side and one on the west side and you can't cross over. <laughs> So we're waving to each other, but we ended up finding a way to get over to their it's a side. Bit of a, and an illegal U-turn, mate. We, we got there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up over at the gas station with Rodney and the band, and we got to stop and have a McDonald's cup of coffee together and have a chat and get some photos. And it was just good to see see those guys. And you know, it's, it's amazing that Rodney's still out there doing it like so well. You know, well, great it, songwriter, always coming up with new records. Well, he's one of the Rare artist that maybe keeps getting better, you know. Like he's still his records. His last three or four records are maybe the best records he's ever made. I think. Hmm. You know. I mean, I know he had that great. It was it Diamonds and Dirt or Diamonds and Dust, where he had the six or seven number ones off the one record as a major country artist. But from the Houston kid onwards, in the last sort of ten, twelve years, they are just stunning records. And it's um, inspirational to. It is. Yeah. He's and he, what a great man. And um, yeah, I. So he's my, you know, he's one of the most underrated songwriters of all time. I think, you know, I mean, he, I know a lot of people do put him up there, but not enough. I mean, when we talk about, you know, Hank Senior and Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie, I think you got to throw, throw Rodney Crowell in there. 
that's awesome. How can you not be? Benny Hill was a great Growing show. up in Australia, that was, yeah. I remember getting old enough to be able to watch it because I'd hear my dad Laugh. just crying with laughter in the lounge room, you know, and I'd come in and mum would go, no, 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 dad's watching the show, you know. But it wasn't, I mean, mind you, I was probably six or seven by the time they let me watch it. But, yeah, Benny Hill, what a crazy sense of humour. Just silly, silliness. I grew up a... Uh, you know, I'd watch him late night and was just in love with Benny Hill. Yeah. And then last fall, I was in playing somewhere in southeast of England, and I had to fly out of Southampton to somewhere the next day. And the promoter was nice enough to drive me way out of the way to Benny Hill's grave. Oh, and we wow. went and visited it. And, uh, cool. I wanted to do the little dance, you know, yeah. the yackety sax. I wonder how many people have just ran following each other through <laughs> that graveyard as fast as they can, you know. Yeah, that was cool. Um, you know, I guess it was all around the time of like Faulty Towers coming out in the back of the goons and the early Python stuff. So I think, yeah, I mean, as Australians, we certainly have that, that side of the humour thing. We share that with the English particularly, um, probably even more so than they do in America. It seems like you know, the younger generation of folks here probably aren't, would have no idea who Benny Hill is or the goons or Python either maybe, but um, us older ones. It sometimes feels like a secret handshake in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> is there such thing as Australian slang? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, that's everything. Like we trick up our, our bandmates all the yeah. time. Well, we can go into our own language and make them try and you know, identify what we're talking about, and it's, it's, it's tough for them. Yeah, that, I mean, and the Aussie slang thing, I mean, you can just sort of make, it's normally a rhyming thing, you know, frog and toad, hit the road, or or dog and bone, answer the phone, you know, for the phone. But then you get onto things where the, where it was a rhyming thing and then they've slanged it off of that. So, like, for example, we, Americans are commonly called seppos back home, which seppo was, it was like, we, you know, septic tank rhymes with yank. <laughs> so but then we move off and we just go seppos. Because yeah. I remember that all the surfies when I was surfing as a kid in Adelaide and um, we were talking about all the surfers that we liked and then you know, someone would bring up Kelly Slater and say, oh, yeah, he's bloody fantastic for a seppo, you know. And I, had to, I even had to think about that one. Seppo, where the hell did they get that one? And someone said septic tank. I was like, oh, yeah, perfect, of course. Makes perfect sense now. <laughs> and we call the English pommies, yep. the pommies. What's that, where does that come from? I don't know where I, pommies comes from. It's, um, is it derogatory? No, none of that is. That's the whole thing. And you head out of Australia and it's kind of not cool just to talk like that. But in Australia, it's endearing. Like it, that's, I think you know, it's prisoner of Mother England is where it came from. That's what it, that's what it is, P-O-M-E, and we just call them poms and pommies. So I think that's what it is. But we would be the prisoners of Mother England, wouldn't we? But anyway, so that's what they, you know. And then the Pakis for the Pakistanis. Yeah, we'll see that. Now, that would be a really degrading thing to say if you're in England. If you're in England. Call yeah. pa people from Pakistan. Mainly, this all just comes from cricket, Sporting really. Sporting events. You know, because, yeah. pa you know, Pakistan and India and countries like that are predominantly cricket, cricketing nations. So, um, so it's, you know, the commentators on the television will say, oh, we're here, and here, welcome to Sydney this morning, and the Aussies are playing the Pakis. You know, it wouldn't be derogatory. But if I've been told if you're in London and you said Not that, that's a, really, that's a really – Bad, bad thing to say. So careful with this stream. Sorry to anyone listening in England or Pakistan. I think. Should I edit the Pakistan part out? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's completely right. Up to you guys. Oh no, I'm Australian. Maybe, It'll I be mean, fine. Yeah, we've learned not to do it okay. since we've been. Well, what's the um, the first one you said? The dog. Uh, the time dog to road. go. Dog and poke. Oh yeah, well, yeah. We're like frog and toad for the road. Dog and bone. Like uh, someone get the dog and bone. Just because it runs with phone. Put anything in front of it. 
So you would just say somebody get the yeah. the dog and bone, and then I'm supposed to go answer the phone when I hear that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. You got it. That's exactly right. I'm not real bright. Quick okay. learner. <laughs> Quicker than most. That's good. No, there's a lot of slang, a lot of Australian slang. Yeah. Is and there? then like we heard last night on the TV about, you know, the nighty. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's just saying. Yeah, off. that's another. Yeah, some bloke said I'm off like a bride's nighty. <laughs> Which means I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> the all-time crowningest moment of all was out in um, Joshua Tree. Had to be six, seven years ago, I guess. Um, we played in the desert in Joshua Tree at this festival, and we were on it ten o'clock at night, and it was a sandstorm of just monstrous Epic. proportions. Epic. Like they said, it was like fifty-five mile an hour sand just on destroy directly at us on stage and it was just like we were literally, literally having to like brace ourselves from trying to fall over while we were playing. We all wore sunglasses because it was just sand in our eyes. and um, The microphone stands were falling Oh, over. yeah. Well, actually, the, didn't the front of house speakers fall over at one point? Yeah. They had to stop that and we just kept playing. I don't know why we kept playing but we, did, we endeavoured to, you know, give the people what they'd come for. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we have a few friends that were there that, that we, you know, see often and they like, can't believe that performance because at the end of it we just looked like we were all about 85 90 years old we were just white hair was white we're just like everything we had to buy comp- cans of compressed air the next day at the at a hardware store and just blow it out of instruments the and just the gear <laughs> i mean it was just ridiculous it was a stupid thing to go on so that one was a um that was a particularly I tough think that's about the that, that, that kind of holds the was the audience uh, getting sandblasted? Well, see, also? they were getting it in the back of the head, so they didn't care too much. They were just dancing and, you know, hippies and dancing and having a good time, not, you know, enjoying some of the local delicacies that you have out in the desert. And um, so they were, they seemed to be fine. But we, we was, we're trying to sing with our mouths touching the microphones, not, not opening your mouth, trying to sing. <laughs> you get big gulps of sand in there. That, yeah, was, that, was, a- that was a tough one. That was a tough one. Those acoustic instruments don't behave very good. Oh, the F-holes in the mandolin too. It was letting a lot of sand in. I remember the next day, just like it was like a beach outside of the motel room, shaking the sand out of stuff. (laughs) It was just terrible. It's sand in my teeth for days. It's funny. We never got asked back to that festival. No, we didn't, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what about with the PA? Oh, Oh, we were in, um, in Arkansas at the Yonder Mountain String Band Festival and we just started our set and we're playing along and there's this huge bang, like huge, huge, like bang goes off and the PA blows up. So we end up just going down the front just performing acoustically. I mean, obviously the PA is not going to start again after a noise like that. But it ended up that the the toilet truck that comes and collects all the, the porta potty yeah. potty stuff, reversed over he the reversed snake. over the, the snake at the and pulled it out of everything oh. that pulled some of the like some didn't come out correctly and pulled it apart but yeah that was and yeah that was a mess that show didn't that show didn't go on I think that, we, played we played a couple of songs of and then it's, and that was it. no one could hear because it was a big festival setting you know so but that pa died we, we've had a few of them did you guys tour with dylan and willie nelson yeah that's was that on. the same tour or was that different no it was different that was back in 2005 but they were together what was Bob and- We'd only really played little club dates and some really small festivals. So this was, we had to really learn quick, smart to play to people that, you know, number one, hadn't really heard of us. And number two, playing to these big arenas where you have to sort of throw the show, you know, have to project to these people in the grandstands, the other side of a football, uh, of a baseball diamond. So it was a huge learning curve for us and a great experience. And yeah, it was just amazing. 
Did you get to interact with Dylan at all? Um, we did. We met him on the last night of the tour. His manager came up to us that morning and said, yeah, Bob, Bob wants to say hey. So, he did a couple of times. He appeared on stage while we were playing on side of stage. He'd turn up and just hang quietly in the in the wings and then disappear. So that was pretty cool. And then we had a baseball like a the whole tour entourage had a baseball tournament, and he turned up at that. Well, we had t-shirts and everything made up, and we were you know seriously, <laughs> seriously playing baseball here. And he turned up. He rode in on his motorbike and sat under a tree and got a drink out of the cooler and sat there and watched us all play. And then he just went walking along the railroad tracks, skipping stones, and it was pretty amazing <laughs> to pretty see cool. Dylan do it. You know, that's yeah. Bob Dylan walking over there. <laughs> but the whole crew treated us so well. We were treated like top-notch. We got um, he, We were allowed to use all his crew. He catered three meals a day for us, full-on catering, and then, you know, send champagne to the room and, he was a he was really good to us. Yeah. What did it feel to look over on the side of the stage and see Bob Dylan? It's pretty amazing there? just to see him in person, regardless. A couple of times around the He's that catering, kind of he would just wander wander through with his a couple of guys that he'd ride bikes with, ride his Harleys around with, and he'd just be like, "Bob's Bob Dylan over there. Crazy. Oh, that's right. We're on tour with him. Holy, you know. Holy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, he was he was cool. He was good to us. Did you have any interaction with Willie? Yeah, quite a bit. A lot. I mean, Willie was sort of wafting around backstage a lot more, if you will. You know, him and his guys. Um, you know, because Dylan would really just he'd, his bus would arrive maybe thirty, forty minutes before he would walk on stage, and he'd mingle with the band, have a few laughs, show them the set list. They'd freak out, and then they'd go on stage. You know, but Willie was kind of there a little earlier in the day, and his band and that. And he's a really sweet man. Again, was really lovely to us, and we got to know a few of the guys in his band pretty well, like Bob's band and. It was just a really special time for us, amazing time, Never, never something we'll never forget. Yeah. Great. I actually ended up getting, uh, at the end of that tour, his guitar tech gave me one of Bob Dylan's guitar straps. So I've still got that at home and I wore it for a long time, wore it out. Yeah. So I've still got that at home and it's got big, huge blue gemstones on it and red leather and it's really unique, you know, handmade yeah. strap. So yeah, well, actually, I, yeah, yeah that, that is a great thing to have. Took it off his guitar to That's give it right. to me. Yeah, we got we got some photos with like every instrument of his. His tech It's funny. His his guitar tech had so many guitars. Of course, Bob didn't play guitar once on the whole tour. He just had to have them ready. You know, <laughs> so he played keyboards or harmonica every night, and that it's was good it. To be but Bob. I got some good photos with those old Gibsons and Telecasters and Strats and things. Cool. Um, I mean, we moved to Nashville in I think it was '05, wasn't it? Right, right. Yeah. The start of that year, and it was it was a business decision at the time and a good one because we had our re- at, at, the, at that time our record label was here uh, booking agent was here a manager was here and um, we just kind of felt that Austin had been great to us but we didn't want to get too comfortable and just it just happens Austin's that type of place you can just say oh, I'm going to stay here and work four or five nights a week and the hell with it yeah yeah it's just so great um, but you know we there are a lot of great artists here in Nashville and musicians that we've become friends with and we wanted to we wanted to come here and, you know, try and be part of that scene and we had, you know, six really great years here. Great um, years. There's a great, like, picking scene for, you know, if you're a mandolin player, there's a great picking scene here with great musicians They just jam and hang out and play music. And, incredible players here, yeah. Yeah, out. and it is, like we were talking about earlier, it's a great location to tour out of. You know, you're one, one day's drive to New York City and all. it's, it's another day extra from off. 
we had the opportunity to go back there and it kind of worked out that, that that's that's worked out well for us as well but you know coming coming back here you sort of missed things about it and especially a lot of the people that we're yeah. going to see over the next week while we're here but it's good it's good to have two places it's one of my favorite cities in the world i, I love austin city. it doesn't seem like you're in texas either when you're in austin which might be part of it doesn't it <laughs> almost feels like you're in australia i think that was one of the things that appealed to us when we first came came there it was like people were really relaxed and the climate was similar which means it's bloody hot you know <laughs> but the river running through town it looks looks it looks a lot like my hometown of adelaide so it, it immediately appealed to me but um i don't know there's something about it it's just you know it's not the business town that nashville is you know which is which is a good and a bad thing but um certainly the live scene there there's so many places to play and it's really interesting music you know people uh, aren't necessarily you know worried about being you know the commercial road in austin they're just making music that they love you get to see singer songwriters and rock bands and you know jazz bands and swing bands it's, it's just a great uh, versatile town and the food's amazing but you got to be careful eat mexican meals four or five times a week <laughs> but um it's just a great place and um it's it's um it's been great for us being aussies in the winter like it's not much of a winter so we really enjoy the mild sort of temperatures i think we have like one week where we have to put the the heat on you know and the rest we're just it's like australian temperatures in the winter and i enjoy that it has been a brutal summer again you know over a hundred for always uh, yeah it's, it's, been <laughs> it's always really over a hundred they're like oh it's a cool change coming through today it's going to be 99 you know <laughs> yeah it's hot it's hot but it's but we like that i mean we'd, we'd rather have that than snow um, we mentioned earlier that um, I first met you guys when we played a gig at the Station Inn eight or nine years ago, and it was, uh, I believe it was in this order. It was um, me and then the Avett brothers, and then you guys played. And uh, oh, Who well, wants to follow the Avett brothers? That's how it should be. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. <laughs> so, there was, I think it was the first like good gig I ever had in Nashville, so I have really good memories of that. Yeah. But um, I remember I thought you guys were great. And then I saw you at um, a festival in Gateshead, England, a year or two later. Yeah. We were at the Summertime Festival. Do you have any memories of any of that at all? Um, not the – I don't really remember the um, gig at the Station Inn, to be honest. I do because your mum and dad were there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. See? Your mum and dad came over from Australia. Wow, it's been a while then. Um, but definitely remember Gateshead. We were just so excited to be in England. And I, I you know – so I was sitting at Gates and it's right across the there's a little river there and then it's Newcastle I guess yeah the you know, Tyne River yeah the Tyne of course yeah Tyne side and that's where the big football stadium is there so I was looking at that the whole time quite infatuated with soccer myself so um the very first football match I ever saw was in that stadium really you know, a fan brought me to a match and it was amazing that would have been fun yeah no doubt and the bridge that goes across, it was a bridge that goes across yeah. the I remember walking over it and walking all around the town and that was great I just loved being over there I completely loved England absolutely loved it thank you guys very much for uh, coming over here it's oh, great oh, to have you mate. in my living room good talking to you maybe we'll cross paths somewhere else this weekend so. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Carol and Kim for stopping by my house in East Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about them at thegreencards.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, 
You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.